Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries podcast. My name is Shakira and I am the host here. If you're new, welcome. Hey, I hope you're doing all right this week. Thank you for joining us. I don't know what made you click on this podcast, but I hope that you enjoy it. And also, I hope that you will stick around to become a part of our Carefree family. When you do that, you just go ahead and subscribe. And when you subscribe to the podcast, you will be notified every single time we have a brand new episode, which is every Tuesday at 9 a.m. If you're not new here, if this is your second time listening, your 10th time, your 50th time, thank you for being a part of our carefree family. So first, I want to say happy Black History Month. It is February 2nd. We are listening to this podcast episode, but I'm recording it on the first day of Black History Month, February 1st. I try not to press to be like recording the day before an episode is supposed to be out, but this one... I needed to wait. I needed to wait to record it. I wanted to record it the day before. So with that being said, happy Black History Month. I am going to skip the niceties, I guess you can say, of carefree updates. If you don't know what carefree updates are, it's just some quick updates on new things that are happening, things that are going on in our communities, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to skip that this week because I just want to get straight to the point. I want to get straight to the topic. So here is a break from our sponsor. And on the flip side of that, we're going to just jump right in. So on to our topic this week. Now, I know that the news cycle in this day and age is so quick now that you may have forgotten already, but Last week, there's an artist, and she released a song called Yellowbone. And when I heard it, uh, and I saw the uproar over the song, it made me revisit a topic that I said that I wanted to cover here on this podcast like a year ago. I wrote it down, and from time to time, I would go back and look at it, and I would be like, hmm. Maybe that's something I don't want to touch on the podcast. And I know I never tell you all, but when I have a new topic on here, most times it's from something that came to me throughout the week um, through an experience or something that I saw or I felt like, oh, wow, we should talk more about that. But sometimes these topics have been months in the making, and this is one of them. So I'll be honest. I kept putting it off because it's one of those topics that people don't really want to touch, whether they're afraid that people will disagree with them or they just don't want to talk about it because it's a touchy subject. Personally, I didn't want to talk about it because I'm tired of talking about it, but here we are talking about it. Um, I'm making an exception for y'all my carefree family because I love y'all so much. So let's talk about colorism. Yay. That's sarcasm, by the way. So before I get into the specifics of colorism, let me just get this part out of the way, because this is the only attention I want to give to this person. Number one, just because you say that you are dating a quote, whole chocolate man, end quote, does not mean that you aren't colorist. Let's start there. That's like when white people say, and we've all heard this before, I can't be racist, I have black friends. 
Do you see what's wrong with that statement? So defending your colorist statements by saying, I have a dark-skinned boyfriend, that doesn't make you less colorist. All right, let's start there. Secondly, your defense should never be, it should never be, I just wanted to make a song uplifting my light-skinned baddies. Or what I heard someone else say, well, Beyonce made brown-skinned girl and y'all weren't complaining. Let me try something really quickly here. Um, If I said, and this is how the song went, so don't judge my singing. I don't have a singer's voice. (laughs) But if I wrote a song and in the song I said, green eyes, that's what he wants. Or if I said, model body, that's what he wants. Or if I said, 3C hair, that's what he wants. And I'm not exaggerating. That's how the song sounds. So do you see the issue in those statements? Okay, I hope so. Because that's where the problem lies. The problem is that when you are uplifting a standard of beauty that is already the standard, you're further supporting the promotion of these physical features of people who, for the most part, because it's not the same for everyone, but for the most part, have not had to deal with society telling them that they are not desirable because of how they look. What's not clicking? So I wanted to get that out of the way first, because that quote apology video was, um, it was something. And now that that's out of the way, what is colorism anyway? I'm glad you asked. Merriam-Webster defines colorism as, quote, prejudice or discrimination, especially within a racial or ethnic group favoring people with lighter skin over those with darker skin, end quote. So you heard that part that said prejudice or discrimination within the community, right? Like meaning is coming from your own people. And just because I like to be fair... Here's another definition. Dictionary.com defines colorism as differential treatment based on skin color, especially favoritism towards those with a lighter skin tone and mistreatment or exclusion of those with a darker skin tone, typically among those of the same racial group or ethnicity. And I felt like I needed to be sure (laughs) to put definitions in here because people will really try to say at their big ages that colorism does not exist. Wow. Colorism is just as real and prevalent as sexism, ageism, classism, ableism, and the list goes on. We just don't talk about colorism as much because... The people that it affects are usually silenced on the issue, but not today. Now, I'm not going to make this podcast episode about her because it's not about her, that artist. Um, It's not about the other rappers. It's not about the other singers. It's not about the other athletes and entertainers out there that also uphold colorist ideals and these notions that there isn't any beauty 
in women of darker complexions. It's not about them. So I'm not making this episode about them. Those people are just a reflection of a much bigger problem. And I think that whenever these situations occur, whenever they say something ignorant, um, we put too much focus on them as individuals. We put the person that says something under the microscope instead of the framework that makes them think that it's okay to say what they said in the first place. Now, I can't tell you when it was the exact moment that I became aware of my complexion. It was probably a combination of things as I was thinking about this. Um, I used to get these magazines. My mom would buy me these magazines. I think the name of it was um, Discovery Girls or maybe it was like Girls Magazine, but I feel like it was Discovery Girls. And I would flip through. And in flipping through these magazines, I would hardly ever see anyone that looked like me. Same goes for when I would go inside stores. Um, In the mall, we had a limited two store. We had a justice store. And, you know, you go inside these stores that are specifically catering to that preteen demographic. And you go in excited and you look around at the walls and you see pictures of girls hanging all around the store And one day it finally registers with you that these girls don't look like you. And I think that when you continuously have experiences like that, you start to realize or it starts to register with you that you aren't the standard of beauty. So in order for us to help raise girls that become confident women, I am a strong, strong believer that we have to make it so that they see themselves reflected. They have gotten better. I will say that they have gotten better with representation a little bit, but there is still a long way to go. It's a long way to go. When I was growing up, we had Brandy. She was our black Cinderella and we had Moesha. She was on Moesha. And we had, you know, a black Barbie. I think her name was Teresa. And we had one black brat doll, Sasha. <laughs> but other than that, a lot of darker complexion black characters on television, whether it be cartoons or not, if it was just a TV show and it wasn't cartoons animated, those characters, the dark skinned characters on those shows, they were there only to be a sidekick to the main character or they were chasing a guy who didn't find them desirable or attractive or they were the loud mouth friend who was mean and said anything at any time but mostly the most inappropriate times and if you see that enough you start to think that that's how the world views you and if we're being honest more times than not That is how the world sees us. And if you feel like I'm making this up, listen to this, stick with me. According to data from the Office of Civil Rights at the United States Department of Education, black girls in public elementary and secondary schools were suspended at a rate of 12%, while their white counterparts were suspended at a rate of only 2%. 
And if you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with skin tone? You said black girls. Well, (laughs) to take the context of discipline discrimination even further, researchers from Villanova University revealed that black girls with darker skin tones are three times more likely to be suspended than black girls with lighter skin tones. If that does not make you furious, I honestly, I, I don't know what will. It is 2021 and people are still saying, I don't like dark skinned women because they're too tough. They're too masculine. You name it. I've heard it. People who say that are, and I'm not trying to give them any leniency here because at a certain point in your life, like you should just be seeking out knowledge and trying to break down feelings that make you feel that way. But anyway, people that say things like that are regurgitating what they've seen on television, what they've seen in music videos, in magazines, in movies. And to generalize an entire subset of people will never sit right with me. And I used to get so upset when I would hear men say that because you quickly realize that you're never going to change their mind. There is nothing that you can do to break down that barrier that they've built. And quite frankly, it's not your job or your responsibility to do that. I used to go to bat when I would hear guys say that. I used to feel like I have to say something. I have to defend us. I have to let him know that we're not like that. We are just as feminine. We are just as sensitive. And I feel like I was banging my head against the wall. <laughs> Whenever, like I would get a little bit into the conversation and I would think to myself, there's no changing his mind about this. It would go absolutely nowhere. And I guess now that I've gotten a little older and I'm finally starting to understand my grandmother's old phrases that she would say, I gave up on trying to fight that battle of, but we are pretty too. We have value too. My grandma used to say, you cannot argue with crazy. And anyone who can look at a woman and determine her beauty by skin tone alone is crazy. (laughs) Point blank, period. End of story. And my favorite one to hear is, but it's preference. What's wrong with preferences? When people say that as a defense to being colorist, I go the other way. It's just not worth it. And if they can't realize that their preferences are a reflection of what society sees as being desirable, again, it's not worth arguing or debating about. Colorism isn't just some made-up phenomena that we came up with off the top of our heads. When I was in graduate school, one of my group papers, when I was, listen, y'all, when I was in grad school, I went to a PWI. PWI stands for Predominantly White Institution. And I had come there from an HBCU. So my undergrad degree is from Florida A&M University, which is a historically black um, university. And so I felt like a fish out of water in grad school because in my program alone, there were maybe eight to 10 black people at one time. Uh, And because of that, I made sure that every 
project that I did at that school was focused on black people. One, because I quickly realized that the people at that school had never really been around a lot of black people, even the teachers. (laughs) I felt like I would be educating the teachers sometimes when I would do papers and they would be like, no joke, no joke. They would be like, oh, black people feel like that. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, I said that to say that what I'm about to get into, um, all my papers were something along the lines of this, focusing on black people or ethnic people. So one of the group papers that I had, we uh, we did it on the effects of skin color and ethnic target marketing on purchase behaviors of African-American and non-African-American women in the personal care industry. Now, in layman's terms, that meant that we researched how did women feel seeing darker tone models in ads as opposed to lighter ones? And did that sway their purchase decisions, whether or not they wanted to buy the product? And what we found was that ads featuring darker black women didn't perform as well. Why? Well, because take a wild guess colorism ding 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 those ads performed best with black women who shared similar skin tones as the models that they saw pictured in those ads and I say this like once a week but slavery really did a number on us and I hate that for us the separation of house and field slaves Um, based on complexion, and then for us to carry that into the segregation and civil rights eras within our own communities, where we created a separation amongst ourselves with paper bag tests. And it's amazing to me that a lot of people don't even know what paper bag tests were. We have to do a better job of educating um, our youth And older people, too. A lot of older people um, aren't aware of some of these things. But in Henry Louis Gates Jr., his book, The Future of Race, he wrote about his experience when he was in undergrad at Yale. And he said, quote, some of the brothers who came from New Orleans had a bag party. As a classmate explained it to me, a bag party was a New Orleans custom wherein a brown paper bag was stuck on the door. Anyone darker than the bag was denied entrance, end quote. And Audrey Elisa Kerr, in her book, the name of her book is The Paper Bag Principle, Class, Colorism, and Rumor in the Case of Black Washington, D.C. She wrote about how the paper bag test was used by black fraternities and sororities, churches, and social clubs throughout the 20th century. Now, can you imagine getting turned away at church because you're darker than a paper bag? You're already discriminated against because you're black by white people. You can't go into these restaurants. You have to sit in a certain place at the movie theater if you can even go to that movie theater. You can't go to certain restrooms. You have to go in the back door at the doctor's office. And then you get within your own community and you're discriminated against there 
as well. (laughs) And that, my friends, is why I don't argue with people or debate with people who say that colorism doesn't exist. Just because you've never experienced something doesn't make it less true. But I'm not here to try to change anyone's mind who is dead set on not finding understanding. What I do want to do, though, is encourage my fellow dark-skinned sisters and brothers to find healing, if you haven't yet, from the different experiences you may have had. Growing up, I was called everything. Black, blacky. If we cut the lights off, we wouldn't see you. Roach, I mean, you name it. Guys saying that, um, some of them would say that they wouldn't date me because I was too dark or my favorite, two dark people can't be together. We make a black baby. And it hurt me growing up. You know, imagine those words coming from people that look like you and you're seven, eight, nine, 14 years old, and you don't even know how to process those words at that age it really does a number on your self-esteem and your psyche but um someone suggested a book to me so I'm reading this book and the name of it is all about love and it's by bell hooks if you want to check it out but there's a small part in it about self-love and it talks about how in order for us to work on our self-love We have to examine our past, a.k.a. our childhood, and find those moments that made us feel less than and start to unpack the feelings associated with those moments. But you can't just stop there. (laughs) Like, you can't just say, oh, yeah, I was called this and that growing up. Yeah, it made me sad. It lowered my self-esteem. You can't stop there. Once you're able to isolate those feelings then you have to make the conscious choice to stop listening to negative voices, whether it be coming from yourself, within yourself, or from outside sources. You have to make a conscious decision to stop listening to those voices that constantly reject or devalue you. That's how you work towards healing. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. So leaving this episode, I want my sisters out there with darker complexions to remember that you are valuable, you are beautiful, you are seen, and you are worthy. No matter what anyone says, I see you, I feel you, trust me, and I understand. And the next time someone tries to say that colorism does not exist... Just send them on over here to this podcast episode and hopefully we can start educating more people on what colorism is and the different experiences associated with it. Don't forget to stay black and carefree and I will see you guys next Tuesday at 9 a.m. for a brand new episode. Bye guys.